a special edition of Problematic Women, a show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness, and I'm a senior news producer with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. So today we are actually coming at you from the White House, and we're going to talk about Jim Carrey's attack on Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Hillary Clinton's flimsy excuses for her inflammatory comments last week. We're also going to discuss the up-and-coming trend of parents choosing gender-neutral names for their kids. And they're doing this to embrace the possibility of gender fluidity in their children. That's a real thing, and we're going to talk about it. Um, but first, John Oliver targets Vice President Mike Pence's daughter's new children's book about their pet bunny called Marlon Bundo's Day in the Life of the Vice President. So recently, he released a parody version of this book, and it's actually number one in the Amazon book seller charts, in case you're wondering. Uh, but his version of the book kind of makes fun of the bunny and makes it uh, like throws in a couple LGBTQ references. And then there's a little Mike Pence character that he kind of swats around in this book. Um, but Mike Pence's daughter is not taking, she's taking that on the chin, she's taking that in stride. She's actually purchased a copy of the book and she has said that she loves it, it's all in good fun. And she says that imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery. What do you think about all this? He certainly is imitating the book. I think he's mocking it. I, th I think it's a little bit inappropriate. What he's <laughs> doing is fine if this were his own idea. Basically, he made a version of a, a bunny um, who's Vice President Mike Pence's um, fame pet, who was very famous from Instagram if you didn't follow the account, and their bunny passed away, and so she made this book. and. Um, the vice president's wife actually painted watercolors for the book. So it's this adorable little children's book, so harmless. And John Oliver decided to troll them basically and make the bunny go to a same sex, um, same sex wedding. Um, so I, I think, look, I am so glad she's just laughing at that and brushing it off. <laughs> but I think, you know, if you really think about what John Oliver is doing, he's making fun of their family because John Oliver thinks that the the vice president and his family are anti-gay. And I just think that's really unfair because I'm not sure what they ever have done to demonstrate that they're anti-gay. And I think this so often comes up when we talk about religious liberty. If you stand for religious liberty, um, the left will slander you as anti-gay. But um, unbeknownst to quite a lot of people, it's possible you know, to be happy for same-sex couples and also pro religious liberty. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I guess I'm proud of uh, his daughter for just being like, I'm not going to let this get to me. I'm going to shake it off, buy a copy of the book, just roll with it. I think that's the best way to deal with criticism and to deal with you know, negativity is just to kind of play along with it and not take it too seriously. At so. the end of the day, he's probably only helping her by getting the book even more promotion. Yeah. So she probably has the last laugh. Yeah. Moving on, last week we talked about Hillary Clinton's interesting rant in India where she accused white women of uh, voting for President Trump simply because their husbands told them to. Um, she received a lot of backlash and criticism for these comments. She also kind of degraded um, middle America's fly, flyover country um, and, and even a lot of Democrats we heard come out against her. And I think right. it says a lot when you don't have your own party defending the woman who was their no presidential nominee. So this week, 
she attempted to apologize, but I don't think it's fair for us to even call it an apology. Yeah, so this is what she said. She said, I meant no disrespect to any individual or group. And I want to look to the future as much as anybody. Um, and then she went on to say, it's not that crazy when you think about our ongoing struggle to reach gender balance, even within this same household. So she's basically kind of saying, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. That's what she's saying. And, you know, this excuse where she was like, I meant no disrespect to any individual or group. Um, she literally slandered the middle of America, saying that, you know, I won the coastal cities, the cities that are innovative. Um, the people that didn't vote for me are these kind of, she backwards. didn't say backwoods, but she said, yeah, she did say backwards. And she said, you know, these people who um, don't like racial equality, people who, you know, kind of implying that they're racist. So I think she very clearly did single out a group of people. Um, and I don't think this apology really cuts it, but I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, this is the lady who's the queen of excuses. When she <laughs> lost, she blamed sexism. When she says something bad, she's like, oh, there's still gender imbalances in the household, and it's not that crazy that I would come out and say this. I think that this is, you know, just par for the course when it comes to HRC. She's actually really interesting to follow on Facebook. And if you have any interest in reading the whole long statement she put out in it's response like this to this, long. I really it's encourage you to because yet again, she comes up with all the usual excuses for why she lost, including the Russians, including Facebook, so on and so on. And I just kind of have to laugh every time that, you know, she could have just simply come out and said, I apologize, that's not what I meant. And, and instead, she doubled down and had to remind us of all the reasons why she lost, as if we had forgot from the last time she said it about five minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Speaking of things that people are saying that they probably shouldn't, uh, Jim Carrey tweeted out this crazy cartoon version of Sarah Huckabee Sanders depicting her as, I don't know, this weird crayon drawing. Weird monster. This if you're watching monster. on Facebook Live, we're showing a picture, but if, if you're not, it was, there, there was nothing flattering about it. Yeah. And he tweeted it out with the message, this is the portrait of a so-called Christian whose only purpose in life is to lie for the wicked. Monstrous. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot right there. Uh, yeah, I think Jim Carrey has been losing it for a while now and I think this is just like another exhibit in this really sad like unwinding of his life um I don't know if you saw the clip of him at that recent award show where he was like nothing's real like everything is fake it's all an illusion I think this is like another exhibit in just his delusion of what's going on and what things are like and another exhibit of chauvinism where we have men making fun of women based on their yeah, appearance. Yeah, calling them is, monsters. This is a theme we bring up time and time and again. If he has a problem with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the policies she's speaking about, let's have a conversation about that. But they always go below the belt, attack women based on their appearance. We're not okay with that, and we're going to continue calling them out. Exactly. All right, well, this next topic is some very good news on the women's front. So Boko Haram, the Islamic extremist who kidnapped over 100 girls, returned 101 of the 110 total um, they'd kidnapped from a boarding school in Nigeria um, in the middle of the night last Wednesday. And when they returned them, I found this really heartbreaking. They warned their parents, quote, 
never put your daughters in school again. Something I didn't actually know about Boko Haram until I was reading a story in the Washington Examiner about this is that Boko Haram means Western education is forbidden. So it's interesting when we talk about a lack of tolerance here in the United States, specifically, I would say on the left, but constantly, um, you know, the other side is calling us intolerant. I think these stories remind us that we need to step back and real intolerance exists to the point that um, Western education is forbidden. Girls, according to these extremists, are not allowed to be go to school. Yeah. How yeah. basic is that? It's, it's really heartbreaking. And the important part also to point out, this is a happy story that so many of them were returned, but there are still nine of these girls who are unaccounted for. Um, and apparently a 14-year-old survivor has said five of them have died, but we don't have proof of that yet. Um, so this is a bad situation. Um, you know, there's still some missing. I can only imagine the condition of any of those who are still in, in their hands are in. So um, please pray for their safe return. Yes. Exactly. Okay, so apparently gender-neutral baby names are on the rise. Which I had kind of noticed anecdotally, you know, like my friend naming their kids like River or whatever, just kind of gender neutral things. Um, but I didn't realize that a lot of people were doing this because they wanted to give their children the opportunity to choose their gender later. So funny, this news story caught my eye because I just love reading about baby names and I want to know what the most popular baby names are so I don't choose those for my future children. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, you know, that's kind of unfortunate for me because I like a lot of gender neutral baby names. And when I clicked on this article, I had no idea that they are gaining popularity simply for the reason that parents don't want to decide their children's gender. They want a name that um, allows them to decide that for themselves. And so I, I, I was uh, biting my tongue after clicking on that. That's a lot, that's a lot. Um, a few of the names that they listed were Royal, Charlie, Salem, Skylar, Justice, Oakley. Okay, Oakley's, that's like a clothing brand. It's a clothing brand, I don't brand. even understand yeah. why, I don't know, whatever. You know, when I was little, and I think I've told you this, Kelsey, I wanted to be a boy, and my parents were like, oh, okay, that's nice, but like, no, you can't, you know? And now that I've grown up, I appreciate that they kind of took a dismissive stance against that um, because obviously I didn't because understand. Because Brie doesn't work for a guy, so <laughs> that's, that's why I'd have to grateful. change it to Brian or something. No, but seriously, like, you know, I think children don't understand all of the nuances that come with sex and that come with gender. They think that, oh, it means that you get to wear a hat or you don't get to wear a hat or whatever. They associate it with clothing and toys and other external things, they don't necessarily associate it with sexuality. So I think that more than ever we should be having this conversation, but not because we want to let our kids decide our gender because they can't. It's a sign for you. Sorry. I agree. And I'd say one, one sub note to this news story is that if you hear parents who name their child a gender neutral baby name, I don't think it's fair to assume that those parents have bought into the whole oh, right. gender yeah. identity um, idea because someone like myself, although I don't have children yet, um, that would not be the reason if I ever chose a gender neutral name um, that I would. But now I don't know if I'll be able to because that might be always what I think of when I hear these gender neutral baby names. Huh. Too much. Too many things you got to worry about now. I can't even. I can't even keep it straight. Well, that wraps up our that happens segment. When we come back, we will bring you one of our new segments called "This Is What Feminist Feminism Looks Like." 
and we're back with our new segment, This Is What Feminism Looks Like, where we like to uphold a positive example uh, of what a feminist is doing um, to do things that are positive and bring about positive change. So Ivanka Trump has been uh, lending her support to boost an online sex trafficking legislation to try to stop and minimize um, and fight for victims of online sex trafficking. So a lot of the details of this bill are still being um, carved out. It's a little bit complicated, but I do appreciate the fact that she is drawing attention to this issue. This is something that, you know, is uncomfortable to talk about a lot of times and oftentimes gets ignored in the national conversation and in kind of the larger narrative of what's going on in the media and what's going on just in our conversations elsewhere. Um, so I do appreciate the fact that she is bringing this to the forefront and saying, listen, this is something that we need to stop. This is something that we need to look out for. Um, and I think attaching her name to a bill that does do it, I think that does a lot for the cause as a whole. So the bill is called the Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, if you want to learn more about it. And basically what it does is it carves out an exemption to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects websites from legal liability for content posted by third parties. So obviously, sex trafficking is illegal, but from my understanding, the way um, that a lot of people are getting away with it is that if, if, if you're trafficking um, adults or children online, um, the internet will not hold you legally responsible for that as the person who's hosting that website because it basically says you, as the person who designed that website, um, are not responsible for what other people decide to post in that website. Um, so it's interesting that actually a lot of internet companies were concerned that changing the law would um, would upend the framework that they think is really important to protecting the internet. If you think about it, that would that in a way this is you know the extreme end. It would be like making Mark Zuckerberg accountable for whatever people post on Facebook. Or but that's why they're doing this very carefully. It's a careful carve out. Um, I think a very important carve out, but that's the nuance, that's the conversations that are being ha happened right now. And I'm wondering, would this hold websites like ours, or I guess more specifically Federalist, because you know we run ads from a lot of different people, would that make us responsible for ad content? You know what I mean? And like, there's a lot of a lot of times human trafficking um, happens on Backpage or other kind of forum websites like that, I'm wondering, like, would a website like ours potentially be responsible for that? I don't know. I think it's highly unlikely, but what the legislation actually does is it makes it easier for people to sue the internet platforms if they're enabling sex trafficking. So I think that if you're bringing a lawsuit, you would have to prove that the Federalist um, consciously decided it. to, they yeah. knew about it and they enabled and supported it, which let's be clear, the Federalists would never do that. But I think that is a good example of um, how this bill would work. And it would require a lawsuit, which would have to go through the courts. So it's a whole process, but it's an important process. Um, I'm happy to see Ivanka um, come out and publicly support it. And I will offer a minor side note that um, from the White House today, I was able to interview Ivanka Trump on a few different issues. Um, we talked about Me Too, we talked about the workplace job training skills, and we talked about free speech. So I encourage you to check out that interview in the Daily Signal. When we come back, we will announce our Problematic Woman of the Week.
welcome back. And now it's time to reveal our problematic woman of the week, which is my favorite part of the show. This week, we got a chance to sit down um, with Sarah Edgar Flores over at the Department of Justice, and we got to have a conversation with her and ask her a couple of questions. Watch. And with the ongoing opioid crisis that is overtaking the country, now more people are dying of opioids than of breast cancer. What are some of the additional steps that the Department of Justice has been taking under Jeff Sessions to combat what's going on? Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Really glad to be here. We are also joined by my co-host of Problematic Women, Brie Payton with The Federalist. Brie, thanks for coming, coming of along. Of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we're actually coming to you from the White House right now. There's an event uh, happening that's focusing on millennials and millennials in the workforce. So I wanted to start out this interview by asking about a recent, um, a recent action the Justice Department took on behalf of millennials on college campuses relating to free speech. Take it away. So we have this crisis across the country that's just not getting the coverage that it should, frankly, and I'm so glad that you guys are talking about it and obviously incredibly grateful to the president for hosting this event today because I think it is so important. I mean, I think if we were on college, in college right now, we would be having a very different experience, or at least I know I would because I kind of spoke my mind in college. And right now that's, you know, you can get expelled for that. You can get shut down for that. And so what the Justice Department has done is tried to find those most egregious cases and filed um, what we call a statement of interest, but think of it as an amicus brief or a friend of the plaintiff um, or defendant in some cases to, to show that the federal government has an interest in protecting free speech on these college campuses. And so the most recent one that's um, certainly been uh, a famous school for doing this is Berkeley. And in that case, if you want to bring a speaker to campus, you know, you're the head of college Republicans, um, and you want to bring a speaker that they deem might be controversial on campus, well, you can't have it at certain hours, you can't have it at certain places. And what that means is if the school thinks that you have a different viewpoint, they can really shut down your speech based on sort of a heckler's veto idea, which is really terrifying, because what's the point of college if you can't explore new ideas and challenge your viewpoint that you came to college with? So we feel pretty strongly about it. We filed in at least three of these cases. Um, and another one, a kid was handing out constitutions, and the school said he didn't have a permit to do that, so he can't hand out constitutions. Now, are these all public schools that you're engaging in, or does it also, um, are you engaging with private schools on this issue? So we have filed in public school cases, but obviously private schools accept a lot of federal dollars as well, and I'm, I don't think you've seen the end of this issue for public or private schools. Got it. Yeah, certainly. And with the ongoing opioid crisis that is overtaking the country, now more people are dying of opioids than of breast cancer. What are some of the additional steps that the Department of Justice has been taking under Jeff Sessions to combat what's going on? Um, and yeah, just tell us more about that. Well, part of the reason I'm here today and you don't get Jeff Sessions is because he's actually in Tallahassee right now talking about opioids. And tomorrow he's visiting a neonatal unit in Birmingham, Alabama um, to visit babies who were born addicted to opioids, which, um, I mean, the statistics on this are incredibly heartbreaking and they're growing. And so the president has told us to take a lead on this as an administration and to end this crisis. And so um, one thing that I think your viewers in particular would be interested in 
is we have a team called the J-Code team, which I like the name because it's easy, you know, it sounds cool, it sounds like we could have a sitcom on it. And um, the J-Code team, though, specifically targets online, dark net, um, illicit fentanyl type um, websites that are selling these. We had a 13-year-old boy die in Utah recently because the drugs that were ordered online, um, I know shockingly, weren't what they said they were. They had fentanyl in them. He overdosed and, and died. And it's, I think it's really hard to imagine what those parents must have gone through. Um, you know, did you even know you could order fentanyl on the internet? I didn't know you could drugs <laughs> online. News to me. Um, so we had, we had two, actually, a prosecution today, um, one in San Diego, another in Ohio. Um, and the Ohio one, I think will just blow your mind. So they um, arrested someone with three pounds of fentanyl and charged them with this. Three pounds of fentanyl is enough to kill everyone in the city of Toledo several times over. That is how powerful this stuff is. And so what the president's message has been is don't start. You know, we, there's rehab and there's treatment and there's all these things that are so important, but the best way to not get addicted and to not end up as one of these statistics, don't start. Yeah. I guess he's kind of taken that example too, right? Doesn't Absolutely. drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do yeah. anything, just not going to risk it. Right. Speaking of the dark web, um, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about just like human trafficking issues. Um, what are some steps that the Department of Justice is doing or what's a message that the DOJ would like to send to Americans about this issue? Well, we have a lot of resources dedicated to human trafficking. It's one of those issues that really lives below the surface, it's not something that I think a lot of people see every day as they drive around, but it is every day. Um, you know, the Super Bowl is probably the number one day for human trafficking in the country. And we have this, you know, huge sports event and everyone's watching the Super Bowl and what you're not seeing is what's happening behind the scenes. And so I think it can be a, um, a silent crisis. And so the thing that I would say to you guys and to your viewers when it comes to human trafficking is a see something, say something problem. If you think something doesn't look right, I mean, people who are being trafficked don't wear t-shirts that say, I am a human trafficking victim. So it's up to us to all ask questions. These girls can be young. There are, um, you know, MS-13, a gang that the president has talked a lot about. They traffic girls as young as 12 years old. So they're in your junior high school. They're in your high school. And... And it's up to all of us to ask questions and raise alarm bells because uh, while law enforcement does an incredibly impressive job with this, they can't be everywhere the way that we all can. Yeah, yeah it seems like so often people are looking to the government for the solutions, but on this case, you're saying the most important thing it, that we can do is, as members of our local communities, is to really, first off, be aware that the human trafficking is happening, yeah. and then keep our eyes out for it. So we appreciate that message, and we will do our part to spread it. Um, I want to ask in spirit of our podcast, Problematic <laughs> Women, um, first off, is that something you would perhaps identify with? Do you view yourself as at times problematic? And what was it like coming into the Justice Department? For those who don't realize, the Justice Department is, is always a mix of um, you know, more people who come from a political background and then longstanding civil servants who are sometimes more loyal to one administration than the other. So what's, what's your experience been like? I think um, other people will have described me as a problematic woman throughout my career. I hope they have, actually. I think that means um, you're probably doing something right along the way. So love being with you guys. I think that's really fun. Uh, so I came from a campaign background, uh, political background. And so campaigns are startups, right? It's why I always tell young people, particularly college-age folks, try a campaign. Just go do it for a summer, for a couple months. 
Um, if you find it addictive and love it, great. If you don't, you had a cool time in random state, whatever. <laughs> um, so you go from this really startup mentality to uh, the Department of Justice has 115,000 employees. And it does important work. And every day you feel like you're making a difference in people's lives. You know, whether it's reducing crime or fighting the opioid epidemic or um, you know, protecting the border, national security. There's so much cool, important stuff we do every day. But yes, 115,000 people is a large number of people to, to move into categories. But um, I mean, the most fun part of my job every day is working with Jeff Sessions, who is so much fun. He is really funny behind the scenes. Um, I think he's pretty funny on camera, too. And um, last week, we watched the, one of the SNL skits about him, and he like died laughing. So um, there's, there's little moments that like, you're going to remember when you're in these jobs and take with you. And um, so those are, those are like the really good days and like days you're really excited to be in this job, even if it's not quite the startup mentality that you're used to. Something I guess we always like to ask guests to is we talk about feminism and what feminism means to you. Do you consider yourself a feminist or is that label a little bit troublesome or what do you think about all that? That's tough because, you know, I feel like as conservative women, um, of course, I mean, God, I, I feel like it goes without saying, of course we believe that women should have the same opportunities as exactly, men. Exactly, right. And then it's just a question of, do you want to take back the term feminist mm -hmm. so that that is what it's supposed to mean. And so in that sense, like, yeah, I'm a feminist. But that's not what we use it as in our society anymore. It has been so hijacked. So I don't know if I'm on team take back the word or team like define your own word. I know what I am and I think I know what we are and I know what conservative women are and I don't think we've ever been particularly bothered by labels or we probably wouldn't be here in the first place. <laughs> So I don't know, it probably depends on what mood I'm in, how many glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> the more glasses of wine being less likely to... No, then I'm like, take back the word. Like, yeah. We can do it. <laughs> Run up that hill. Worth it. Yeah, without any wine, it feels like quite an uphill battle. Like, like some other battle. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time, and you definitely are a problematic woman in our eyes, and that is a good thing. We appreciate all our show today. We appreciate you tuning in. And if you know a problematic woman, please don't be shy and letting us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. You can read all my stuff over at thefederalist.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can tweet segment ideas to her at Lauren Eliz Evans. And if you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. Thanks. Thanks.